some of you may noticed, uh, may have noticed, a synopsis is in order. <laughs> um, uh, we had the wrong gospel marked. One of many, many uh, holy mistakes. <laughs> um, but um, that's okay. Um, <laughs> we will uh, persevere. We will pull through. We will find strength in God. Um, and we will pray for our priest um, in his safe return each and every Sunday. <laughs> so, um, to get us started, uh, so just to, to summarize um, the, the correct gospel reading um, is of the Transfiguration. Um, it's uh, coming from the, the book of Matthew. Um, and in it, the, uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, Peter, uh, the rock, and James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, rambunctious bunch, uh, what many scholars and uh, theologians describe as Jesus' inner circle, uh, takes them up uh, to an undisclosed mountain uh, and prays, literally prays, uh, until he is transformed, uh, till his robes turn uh, a snowy white uh, and he begins to glow. Uh, and then Moses and Elijah appear, um, and they start having a conversation, a casual conversation, as Peter, James, and John uh, sit there and uh, try not to doze off, um, and then wake up in amazement at uh, this glowing scene of these three uh, legends of biblical history, legends of uh, the tradition, uh, the prophetic tradition that we've inherited, uh, go back and forth and uh, have a conversation about uh, the revelation of Christ here on earth. Uh, then a cloud comes down, uh, and the voice of God says to Peter, James, and John, um, as they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves, um, and Peter comes up with the brilliant idea of making houses um, on the mountain. He says, this is my son, uh, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so, um, if you don't mind, just for a second, um, I'm going to ask that you indulge me. Um, find a good, comfortable posture. Maybe you move to the edge of your seat. Maybe you sit up straight with your shoulders back, or maybe you use the back of the chair to, to prop you up. Maybe you put your hands on your lap. Maybe your palms are up ready to receive, or maybe they're down in anticipation. Maybe your eyes are closed, or maybe they are opened and you have found a nice spot to lose yourself in. Whatever comfort and readiness feels like in your body and in your mind, find that and take one deep breath. And one more. And one more for good measure. Now listen. Give me the strength to be free. 
The thought of being free comes upon us sometimes with such power that under its impact, we lose the meaning that the thought implies. Often being free means to be where we are, not at the moment. To be relieved of a particular set of chores or responsibilities that are bearing heavily upon minds. To be surrounded by a careless rapture with no reminders of cost of any kind. To be on the open road with nothing overhead but the blue sky and whole days in which to roam. For many, being free means movement, change, reordering. To be free may not mean any of these things. It may not involve a single change in a single circumstance, or it may not extend beyond one's own gate, beyond the four walls in the midst of which all one's working hours and endless nights are spent. It may mean no surcease from the old familiar routine and the perennial cares that have become one's persistent lot. Quite possibly, your days mean the, the deepening of your rut, the increasing of your monotony, and the enlarging of the areas of your dullness. And of this, all of this, and more may be true for you. But give me the strength to be free. Often to be free means ability to deal with the realities of one's situation so as not to be overcome by them. It is a manifestation of a quality of being and living that results not only from understanding of one's situation, but also from the wisdom in dealing with it. It takes no strength to give up, to accept shackles of circumstance so that they become shackles of soul, to shrug the shoulders and bland acquiescence. This is easy, but do not congratulate yourself that you have solved anything. In simple language, you have sold out, surrendered, given up. It takes strength to affirm the high prerogative of your spirit. And you will find that if you do, a host of invisible angels will wing to your defense and the glory of the living God will, develop, will envelop your surroundings because in you, God has come into God's own. I wish I could take credit for the words that I've just spoken. But they actually uh, are from a book called Meditations of the Heart by Howard Washington Thurman. It's a group of meditations that often opened his church in San Francisco, one of the first intentionally integrated churches in the country. And he wrote these as a part of their liturgy, a part of their common life together, um, a part of how they readied themselves for worship. And I thought it not robbery in thinking about the transfiguration and thinking about this great mystical moment uh, to invoke the words of Howard Thurman. You all have heard me talk about Reverend Thurman before in reference to his installation as one of two men who have profoundly shaped the spiritual tradition 
of Morehouse College, uh, where I came to you from. The other was Martin Luther King Jr., who was mentored by Reverend Thurman. I think both of these men can give us some insight into the gospel reading for today as we celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration, this Feast of Transformation, right? I will say at the outset that the physical transfiguration of Jesus it is a distraction that we have institutionalized. If you do not believe me, just look at what Jesus commands of his most trusted disciples. Tell no one of these things. Why? This moment has been enshrined in all of Christendom as a great miracle. It's iconic in the only miracle that was reflected on the body of Jesus. Right? More often, we think about the miracles transforming water into wine or Jesus performing the miracle on the body of another. But this transfiguration happened in Jesus' own body. Why would you not want to share this moment with all of your disciples? The truth is that Jesus knew, as Elijah and Moses discovered before him, that the physical manifestation of an encounter with God can hurt more than help. That one is changed by such an encounter is a fact. That one is physically radiant after coming into contact with God in this way. To in, in, when entering into these thin spaces and acknowledging the presence of God physically in this world. However, Jesus uh, has a job to do as did his predecessors. I would imagine many women know this struggle well, the constant scrutiny of appearance which enraptures the mind. As we heard in our Old Testament reading, Moses was so scrutinized that he found need to cover his features completely in order to get on with the necessary business of forming a nation. And so we find Jesus, once again in human history, trying to curb the nagging preoccupation with spectacle and appearance that afflicts our condition. No, this moment, at least for Jesus, was not all about his physical transformation, but rather a mountaintop experience. For most of us, this is very familiar language. It is often used to describe the high one feels on a retreat especially a spiritual one, but also to describe those seminal moments of unreal reality that sometimes, if rarely, litter our lives. If you have ever been on top of a mountain, as I suspect many of you have, given our current uh, environment, (laughs) uh, this is too perfect of a metaphor. On mountaintops, your vision spreads far and wide. You are able to see things you cannot at a lower vantage. The air is thin and crisp and pure. Deep breaths at such heights leave one with a feeling like they are floating. For a long time, I imagine mountaintop experiences were the closest thing that human beings knew to flight. We go to the mountaintops to rest 
and we also go to mountaintops to challenge ourselves. They are where we retreat to see what we could not see before. For Jesus, this was just, just such a moment. A retreat from a frustrating journey with a band of followers who seemed unwilling or incapable of understanding the lessons he was trying to teach. He needed to get away to see what he could not see. To commune with God on the mountain, as is the ancient way that spans culture and tradition. Unlike his predecessors in the lineage of men who spoke to God in the Jewish tradition, he drug his closest followers and friends up the mountain with him. I would say there are a couple reasons for this. The first is that these were also the most egregious offenders of Jesus' frustration. These three men lived deeply in their bodies and were very much attached to the physical world around them. They were fishermen. They rose early, worked hard, and God provided through God's abundance for their living. Again, I say, they lived deeply in their bodies. And because of this depth and pragmatism, they were also crass, boisterous, the first to raise questions of doubt, and also the first to take a defensive posture. Their being was often at odds with Christ's teaching. So in one sense, they needed this physical encounter to fulfill their own understanding and live into their physical, uh, into their personal ministries. They needed to know that living deeply in their bodies could lead to something transcendent and life-changing, but that they had to push themselves further to attain such feats. In another sense, they needed to be told to listen. Like Peter, James, and John, we can often get caught wanting these mountaintop experiences to last forever, to build a hut or a house on the mountain. We want to build our home on the mountaintop. However, we all know that the mountain brings its own challenges. And more importantly, and more often, our mission is in the valley. Our job on the mountaintop is to be filled with the courage and strength to be free, to be reinvigorated and reconciled with the perfect will of God. The radiant glow of the mountaintop almost never lasts, but the internal transformation, the transfiguration of our souls into a more flattering likeness of God is possible. It is that transfiguration and knowledge that we bring to the valley with the strength and courage to love and serve the Lord with gladness and singleness of heart. It is that transfiguration that grows our faith, that we might speak to the mountain, and that it might move. Amen.